0: Hello and welcome to the Segula Discussion Podcast, the show where we discuss how discipleship to Messiah Yeshua informs our choices and actions in everyday life. My name is Ben Frosted and with me is my wife Daria. Our conversation today is going to be Fear, Polarization, and Psalm 46, a fresh look at COVID-19. So are you sick of hearing about COVID-19 yet? You know, it's uh, back in March and uh, April, it seemed like everyone had to give their own personal response to COVID. Every company you ever did business with is sending you emails saying, this is how our company is responding to COVID. Whether you are curious or not, you get to find out how your plumber is concerned for your health in these troubled times. And every other type of business in between. Uh, You know, every website has to have some banner at the top with a link to all the COVID updates that they have. And admittedly, we're jumping on this bandwagon a little late. (laughs) So what more could possibly be said about this? Here we are, months after the initial scare of the pandemic and whatnot. And, well, I can't say it's all over now. I do think this is a good time for us to stop and look back at what happened and assess what's going on and how we responded back then and how we're responding today. And more to the point, what our response as believers should be. So this is going to be a kind of a retrospective sort of look at COVID-19. Because, you know, the way we respond to situations like this reveals a bit about who we are. You know, the the real test of character happens in situations of tension or moments of crisis. Yep. And especially for our podcast here, you know, our question is, what should be a proper biblical response? What should be our responses as, as believers to situations like this?
1: Yeah, well, so looking back, it seems like there were three kind of main responses to the coronavirus at the beginning in yeah. march when it was new and so the first response was like a fear of the virus itself right. and i remember at the beginning when we were hearing about it and hearing what was happening in italy about hospitals being overloaded you know there was that fear of you know what's what's this virus like and what like, if i get everyone's, sick
0: everyone's stocking up on toilet paper yeah
1: yeah. But, you know, there was this fear of like, well, what if I get sick? Or what if someone I love gets sick? And what if I'm sick? You know, who's going to take care of my kids if I'm in bed and can't take care of them? And right. that kind of thing. Right?
0: Yeah. I mean, this was really in the early stages where we didn't know very much about this virus and
1: you
0: know the unknown sparks a lot of fear yes it was it was a terrifying prospect of this deadly virus encompassing the globe and
1: and sometimes you would hear about you know young healthy people getting hit really bad with it and then it seems like a second response was after the lockdown started happening and everything people were like well I'm not scared of the virus, but I'm concerned about the impacts on the economy from all these lockdowns. Right, yeah. Right? So there was like gloom and doom predictions of the economy crashing and this having long-term negative effects. Well, and, yeah,
0: and as as a business owner, that hit close to home for yeah, me. And yeah, yeah. Well, our people were losing because,
1: their jobs. Yeah, I, businesses were closing down. We
0: had to uh, stop working. You in weren't our able business to work for a while. We weren't able to do any, take any yeah, appointments. Yeah, you were and, not
1: legally able to work for a while.
0: And, and yeah, that's a fearsome prospect. When you know, wh- what do you do? How are we going to pay the bills? What's what's going to be the long term impact here? Yeah.
1: You know, and then as well as the mental health impacts, right, of staying home and not interacting with other people, the stress and the uncertainty, you know, what about victims of abuse who are stuck at home and things like that. So there is a lot of concern for humanity in that kind of perspective.
0: Right. Yeah. So the economic or social impact. Right.
1: Right. Where it's like, yeah, I'm not scared about the virus so much. I'm scared of how everybody's responding to this virus. And I think, like, the third kind of response to it was thinking that it's kind of more like a conspiracy Mm -hmm. and that there's this was maybe planned and a pandemic, a A pandemic, and that (laughs) there's more to it than what people are letting on, and that it's part of a bigger, darker plan and more gloom and doom predictions
0: right so so there's there's a fear driving that as yeah. well right yeah and, and and for a lot of people you know it's the fear of your rights being taken away right the, the fear of being controlled or having government involvement in ways that are unhealthy mm-hmm. and so yeah you know what's fascinating about all all three responses is that they're all based on fear
1: yeah and i think sometimes um people didn't want to admit to that you know because people are like, well, I'm not living in fear. I'm not scared of this virus, but.
0: <laughs> but I'm scared of the economy, economic effects. Or... <laughs> Look at
1: how terrible this is. Yeah. Or I'm
0: scared of, you know, the government taking over my life. And Right. Yeah.
1: Well, but that's still a type of fear. That's still.
0: Exactly. And a lot of people have a combination of these fears, right? Yeah. Terrified yeah. of the virus, terrified yeah. about the economy, terrified about their rights being taken away. Some people are terrified of all three.
1: Right. And there's legitimate reasons for right, yeah. those kind of emotions because this is very unprecedented.
0: Yeah, exactly. Well, and you look at how look at how the news really plays into um, this fear, yes. right? Uh, and social media. And we especially. consume so
1: much of it now, right? Like, yeah, we're constantly exposed to things that are happening in the news, and it's always played up so much. It's not just reading the newspaper. It's with our smartphones. We're exposed to the media a lot.
0: Right. Yeah. You know, kind of a brief confession here, but I actually stopped reading or watching the news um, quite a few years ago.
1: Yes, you did. (laughs) And and
0: I may be a little isolated about what's going on in the world. but So
1: I get to inform you instead. Yeah.
0: yeah, So I have my wife to inform me. Um, But, you know, I just find that a steady diet of the news, even in normal circumstances, is not... A it's healthy not, thing. It's not healthy. No. And you know, so I've been a little bit isolated from you know what's what's the news saying these days. I've sort of just assumed that everyone's starting to get over this whole coronavirus thing, and maybe we're starting to go back to normal slowly. Uh But it shocked In me. In our
1: province, there's a lot that's opened up.
0: Yeah, that's true. That is. True.
1: In some ways, it's almost back to normal.
0: Almost, except yeah. There's, yeah. there's still some weird things that yeah. are still going on and weird rules and things like that. But um, it doesn't feel normal yet. No,
1: it doesn't. No. Uh,
0: but still, still, it really shocked me when uh, the other day I saw the news again and saw how big coronavirus still is. You know, you go on a news website and right at the top, they've got all the statistics about COVID, how many people have died of COVID, uh, how many active cases are going on. You know, a steady diet of this stuff is fear inducing.
1: Yeah.
0: Right. Think of what that does to you psychologically. Even if you're trying to downplay the paranoia, having it in your face all the time, it's going to have an effect on you. You can't Mm -hmm. come away from that unscathed.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And didn't you say that you were at someone's house and the news was on the TV and it was a different topic, but on the bottom, there was this banner constantly going by Showing you updates of how many cases of coronavirus there are and how many deaths there have been, and it was like it was unrelated to whatever was on the news at the time.
0: Right. Yeah. But it's
1: just constantly there. Yeah, it's a, it's These a const- scary numbers.
0: Yeah, a constant loop of mm-hmm. of all this coronavirus data constantly yeah. in your face. And yeah, I, I mean, you you look at how the media pumps that up, right? They focus on the deaths. They focus on the terrible cases. Right. You, you always see news highlighting the cases of people who died or who had these terrible, the most severe, terrible symptoms. You don't see interviews with people who say, hey, I had COVID and it wasn't that bad. Mm-hmm. And so so the media is pumping out this fear. You've got these glo- real time global statistics everywhere that, you know, people are monitoring. And, and and some people I encounter, whether at work or in other places, are still legitimately terrified of coronavirus yeah it's it's a very real fear for them right mm-hmm. other people you know say oh you know i'm not worried about well, it anymore but for some people it is still well and, real and for fear. some
1: people they are immunocompromised yeah right so,
0: some there are some cases where people have legitimate reason yeah. to fear and uh, and the media doesn't help alleviate any of that and you know alternative media is no better Right, they're right. pumping out just as much fear. Yeah, uh, you know, it's it's either you're afraid of the virus or you're, you're afraid of the government or you're yeah. afraid of something else. Right. Right. It's, there's always fear being pumped out. People who try to downplay the importance of the virus, their response is, "Oh, we don't need to worry about the virus. We just we just need to trust in God or or be right. calm or whatever." But, no, instead, the response is, "We don't need to worry about the virus. We need to worry about the government or mm-hmm. we need to worry about." this or that right so right there's always something something to be afraid of yeah. yeah yeah and the point in all this is not to try and say that these are all illegitimate fears mm-hmm. right uh, and and by the way uh In this podcast, we're not going to try and argue the pros or cons of any of these positions or try Mm. to debunk them. That's not our purpose today. So
1: you don't want to get in a debate about masks right now? No,
0: we're not going to get into a debate about should we wear masks or shouldn't we? Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, That's not our purpose. Uh, And, you know, the prospect of getting sick or possibly having deep complications, the prospect of losing my loved ones, especially elderly people in our family or friends Mm -hmm. and family who are immunocompromised, being endangered by this virus, the prospect of the economic repercussions, the prospect of the government taking controls that I deem inappropriate. These are all things that are legitimately worthy of fear.
1: Mm-hmm. Yep.
0: The answer is not to say, ah, you don't need to be afraid of any of those things. None of them are valid fears. No, the there are legitimate fears out there in the world.
1: Mm-hmm. And it's
0: easy to get sucked into that fear. Mm-hmm. But what should our response as believers be to these fearsome situations. And that's where I want to turn to Psalm 46. I'm going to just uh, read through the psalm here. It's to the choir master of the sons of Korah, according to Alamot, a song. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, I had the privilege of doing a project on this psalm for one of my classes this past year. And actually, I think it was in February that I chose this psalm uh, to do it on. And I I didn't, of course, know that we would soon be engulfed in a global pandemic situation. But it was kind of cool to see how uh, the themes in this psalm, I felt, really related to what we were going through. And I think a lot of us are familiar with the first verse of the psalm, right? God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. There's a number of different songs that uh, I think have uh, set that verse to music. And of course, the most famous is Martin Luther's A Mighty Fortress is Our God. But, you know, I I always kind of assumed that this verse was like just this calm assertion of trust. Like, yeah, you know, God's our fortress. Therefore, (laughs) we don't have to be afraid. And that's it. But you know as you read the psalm there is another story that starts to come out right it says yeah it says we will not fear but then it says the circumstances in which we're not going to fear you know the earth giving way the mountains being moved into the heart of the sea the waters roar and foam the mountains tremble at its swelling the swelling of the sea and so
1: those are all terrifying circumstances. These are
0: terrifying circumstances, right? Like this is, and you have to think in an ancient Hebrew um, perspective here, the, the sea represents chaos, right? The chaotic waters, right? You look back in Genesis 1, it uh, talks about how God's spirit was hovering over the waters and, and, and like trying to bring order to this chaotic matrix of of uh, the earth that was there that and you know the dry land on the other hand and especially the mountains uh, mountains represent what is firm and immovable what what is supposed to be something reliable right something you can be like oh it's always going to be there you know i can hang my hat on it it's something that i i don't have to worry about it suddenly disappearing and you know slipping off into the ocean or anything like that and so when you read of you know the mountains being moved into the heart of the sea like this is like chaos engulfing that which is supposed to be firm and stable in your world. Right. Yeah. This is this is like utterly apocalyptic, the mm-hmm. situation that's being described. And as you go through the psalm, you learn you realize this is a political metaphor. These are political metaphors for military upheaval going through the then known world. This is describing a situation of global chaos. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we, we don't know exactly for sure when this psalm was written, but I think a, a compelling case could be made for uh, the situation during the reign of Hezekiah, king of Judah, when Sennacherib and the Assyrian war machine are decimating the then known world and toppling kingdom after kingdom, um, you know, and even the northern kingdom of Israel gets destroyed by Sennacherib. And the one exception to all this mass desolation is the tiny kingdom of Judah, Jerusalem, wow. that is saved by God's miraculous hand. And so, so, you know, picture what it would be like to be in Jerusalem in those days with Hezekiah, right? You're, you're witnessing the world as you know it yeah. being destroyed.
1: Yeah, that would be so scary.
0: And you're next. <laughs> and it's only God's grace that saves you.
1: Yeah, and And the Assyrians were known to be particularly... Ruthless. Cruel.
0: Yes, that's right. And yeah, so this is not just a calm assertion of trust that's expressed in this psalm. This is like a breathless expression of praise at having escaped what should have been certain doom because of God's miraculous power. So... Yeah. <laughs> Ever since uh, I started working on this song, I've, I've really come to love it more and more. And, and I, I just feel like, you know, I, I don't think that what we've gone through with coronavirus is anywhere near as devastating <laughs> as what happened in those days. No. But still, you know, just the idea of the world being engulfed in chaos. That's kind of what we've experienced here these past six months.
1: Right. It's affecting a lot of places in the world.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, you know, think about what it was like the those uh, first couple of weeks. I just remember, yeah, it's very disorienting.
1: Yeah, it seemed almost like dystopian.
0: Yeah, you know, your your world, the world as you know it, suddenly changing so drastically, right? Yeah, and and so, what is our response supposed to be as believers? It's not to say, you know, in this psalm, it's not that this is not worthy of fear. Right. Right. The situation that Israel was in in those days that Judah was in was very worthy of fear. Right. It was a, a legitimately terrifying situation. But looking back at what God had done in the past and looking at God's presence in the present is the source of hope and trust. And so as believers, we have a security that transcends what's going on in the world around us. And our response as believers to a global to global crises ought to be categorically different than those around us.
1: Yeah, you know, that's so true. And, you know, COVID, this whole pandemic is probably going to be affecting our society and changing it in a long term kind of way.
0: Yeah, I mean, I keep thinking back to like 9-11 and yeah. how that changed the world. So yeah, drastically, kind right? of
1: like, you know, we think of, oh, this was before 9-11, and there's probably going to be terms like pre-COVID and post-COVID.
0: Yeah, we, we are living in a post-COVID world right now. Yeah. Or, except, um, well, I think we're, we're still kind of in it. it. <laughs> yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. How, you know, there's going to be effects. Like, I think we've noticed a lot of things going online now, schools and businesses. Yeah. And even... Even small, like, mom-and-pop shops are offering curbside pickup. Right. So that's just going... Looks like there's even less interaction with other people. Yeah. Face-to-face interaction.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a huge thing is just how much less face-to-face interaction there is today.
1: Another thing, too, that I thought of is the impact it can have on anxiety, you know, and health anxiety. Like, you're constantly everywhere you go you have to use hand sanitizer before you go into any store right and at workplaces lots of hand sanitizer and i mean it's good to wash your hands in general whether or not there's a pandemic but now it's just like is it increasing a general awareness of oh there's germs everywhere and more of a germophobia i mean I was already a germaphobe a little bit right. before the pandemic started. I like to have hand sanitizer available when we would go places.
0: Yeah, I mean, this is just going to—if you know any any underlying anxiety you had before COVID, this is only going to exacerbate that. Right. And and yeah, I mean, that's that's one of my biggest concerns with everything that's going on is the me- the long term mental health effects on yeah, our society. exactly. And uh, you know, I mean, think about what the the isolation. The, uh, look at how individualistic are and and isolated we were before COVID, and this has only made it so much worse. Right. It's exponentially worse. People's personal bubbles just got that much bigger. Right. right? So, you know, everyone it, it, before it was weird to be too close to people. Now it's like morally wrong to be too close to people
1: yeah and is there just going to be always this awareness like i don't want to get too close to people because who knows what kind of germs they might have and yeah and, or even if
0: you're not scared of the germs you're scared of how they might react to you being right. too close
1: exactly that that's another thing and i also read an in a post a while ago about it was this mom posting about her daughter going back to school and that the teacher tore, told the class that there's some new rules and one of them is not to share your things with other students, not to share school supplies and such. And the other one is not to help other people, not to get up close and help someone who needs help. Wow. You have to stay away. You have to socially distance all the time. And she was just commenting on how children have like this innate desire to want to help someone if they see, see someone needing help. Yeah. And if we constantly give this message, don't help, don't share... Don't help them. Stay back. There could be germs. Don't help. You know, um, that's not a healthy message, right, for an entire generation. Right. And I mean, hopefully that's only going to be for a temporary time. So hopefully there won't be a lot of damage from that. But Mm -hmm. you don't know. Yeah. And, you know, even my, my friend, I was talking with a friend of mine and she was sharing about how she was recently going to into a store and she saw this man walking out carrying a lot of things in his hands and they were starting to fall out and you could tell that he was clearly struggling with being able to carry all these things and for a moment she felt the urge to like reach out and help him balance what his pile of boxes but then she didn't because she thought well you know he probably doesn't want me to come you know within two meters yeah so she, she says she walked past him without helping him when he was very clearly struggling. And normally she would have helped him, but she didn't know if he'd get mad at her or something, right? If yeah she stepped up close. So,
0: yeah, it, it's so hard these days because it's like, you don't know what the right thing is to do anymore. Right. And the message, it, it was interesting. I, just for fun, I did a quick Google search on the Christian response to COVID-19 uh, just to see what would come up. And uh, oh, almost boy. everything came from like uh, March or April. So this was all early responses. And um, uh, for example, there was this one New York Times opinion post, the Christian response to the coronavirus is stay home. Uh, and that this is how you need to love your neighbor today right. is mm-hmm. by staying home. Uh, and so, so these were messages saying the Christian thing to do is to, uh, follow the guidelines that are being laid out, and and you know do this lockdown thing and and whatnot, you know. And yeah, I'm not trying to advocate going against uh, government what the government says to do or health authorities or things like that. But uh, it does make you start to question, like, okay, what does it mean to help people now? How how can I help someone? And and especially when you bring mental health issues into the picture, right? How do I help someone who's struggling with depression or or whatever it may be you know anxiety um you know just loneliness right
1: loneliness yeah that's a big one
0: yeah And, and and you know i'm not in this podcast i don't want to diminish the experience of people with mental health issues those are very real you know chronic anxiety depression things like this these are are very real things that, and there isn't just a simple, trite answer that you can give to right. to get rid of them. And maybe we'll talk about that in another podcast.
1: You know, I also thought of people that are stuck in abusive situations yeah. at, at home. What about children who are in abusive homes, and the parents are also at home, and maybe they're under higher stress, and there's more abuse going on. Alcoholism, alcoholism has alcohol consumption has gone up a lot during the pandemic. Right yeah so you know what if people are drinking at home with their children and what if they're getting drunk and whether there's bad things going on, and there's no one else to see the signs of it,
0: yeah, we're even less involved in people's lives now than we than we used to be so yeah there there's these effects and 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 i i I too hope that this a, a lot of these things are temporary. Yeah. Um and that it won't be like this long term but you do wonder what will be the long term effects on some of these things, right? Mm-hmm. You know, in uh family systems theory of uh counseling and and uh human relations anxiety is like the tension in the system. So the higher the anxiety, the more tension there is in a system, whether that's in a family or in a workplace, or in a uh, city, or in a nation, in a society. I think that in North America, we struggle with a chronic societal anxiety. And COVID-19 has only made that anxiety go up way more, right? Mm -hmm. And, And one of the symptoms of this heightened tension is, I think, the polarization that we see going on in the Mm -hmm. world around us, especially on social media. You know, everyone's got an opinion. And I mean, everyone's angry at everyone else who doesn't share that opinion, right? Why are the reactions to coronavirus so political?
1: Right. Yeah, you can almost see it divided on party lines.
0: Yeah. And it, I mean, if you step back and you think about it, it, why is it like that, right? uh, Well, I mean...
1: One of the reasons why is because governments had to make decisions right. and sometimes people are on the big government side and the small government side, and so that's going to affect yeah your views, yeah,
0: that's true. It is really interesting how you you even see competing visions of the true Christian or biblical yes, exactly. response, right, like the masks issue, which we're not gonna
1: we're not going to go into that we're here. not going
0: <laughs> open that can of worms but but I mean, look at the the um, kind of accusations and judgmentalism you see from both sides from both
1: sides from both sides like i see on the side that's against wearing masks feeling like the people who do wear masks are you know quote unquote sheeples following blindly what the media tells them to do and that we need to stand up for our rights and not wear masks and then i see you know on the pro-mask side you know, saying if you're not wearing masks, you're a grandma killer and Hmm. you don't love other people. And so both sides is just really extreme, one against the other. Yeah. And one side sees themselves as a victim. And, you know, it's really easy to see yourself as a victim today.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think it comes down to the fact that the fear that's permeating our society, the anxiety that's adding to all this, you know, all this tension into the system, it makes people, you know, scared and angry. Yeah. And that leads them to be hostile in the way they treat others. And it's
1: a lot easier to do that when you're not face-to-face with someone and you're sitting behind a computer.
0: Yeah. (laughs) You know, I I really think that our role as the body of Messiah is to be a non-anxious presence in the world. And that non-anxiety has to stem from a relationship of trust with the God who is in control of everything and that enables us to respond with love and compassion.
1: And to be a peacemaker. That's right. Right? Yeah. Can we make peace, you know, as believers with each other? Can we not see the other person as, as, bitter, as an enemy?
0: As an enemy. Yeah. And so, like, having that peace in our own hearts, the peace of God that passes all understanding... When we have that peace inside of us, then that peace can overflow to those around us. So, yeah. you know, the world around us might be freaking out mm-hmm. about all these different things. But our center, our security, our source of confidence and and um, safety comes from God.
1: Yes. Amen.
0: So with that, we're going to wrap up our conversation for this time. The Segula Discussion Podcast is brought to you by Segula.net. Our goal is to cast a vision for a healthy and mature Messianic Torah movement and deal with issues that affect our everyday lives as disciples of Yeshua. If you have suggestions for topics that we should discuss on this show, send us an email at feedback at Segula.net. Whether you are Messianic, Christian, Torah observant, or whatever lingo you prefer, we hope this conversation has been a blessing to you. And together, may we all become a glorious people in Messiah.